Welcome into a brand new episode of 300 Yards to Unknown. I'm Rick Gaiman coming to you from Blue Wire Studios at the Win Las Vegas and joined today by my friend and the deputy managing editor of Golf Digest. It's Steve Hennessy. Steve, really appreciate you coming on. Rick, thanks for having me from this beautiful new studio of yours. Uh, it's an honor. I just hope my my face isn't showing up so big behind you on that 100 100 inch screen that'd be a nightmare it would be a dream come true steve i, I hope it is we'll make it happen if uh if not but how, how are things my dude you just got back from uh augusta i'm sure it's as pure as ever yeah augusta was great um it was only my second time there so uh I, you know i was pumped to go and obviously having tiger there was amazing the first time i went was 2014 so tiger did not play that year so this is kind of my first tiger at augusta experience which uh which did not disappoint and you know we had him on the weekend too which was a bonus yeah how much of a noticeable difference is there on a non-tiger masters versus a tiger masters yeah the crowds you know all the patrons there in 2014 you know it was still it was still huge but um just you know everyone on property knew where tiger was at that moment like even before he came to the practice facility on Friday, um, you know, everyone was waiting for him and everyone was looking at their watch because you know you can't have your phone at Augusta. So just like the sense of um, the aura around like when is Tiger going to show up and everyone was planning their day around it was, it was pretty incredible to experience. Um, and then when he's on the course, like, you know, even when Scotty Scheffler was wrapping up his round on Friday, you know, it, it was, it didn't compare even close to the, the patrons and the, the number of people uh, walking with Tiger. Um, it, it, it's insane to see it in person. Um, it also makes navigating around Augusta to follow him pretty difficult because, you know, there's like whatever, 10, 15,000 people walking on one hole with Tiger. So, you know, you got to plot around, you know, see his, him hole out on the second green and then, you know, maybe get over uh, to four green. And um, so, you know, you got to plan your your day around around it, and you got to really know your way around the course. But um, the experience is is second to none. It's kind of hard to describe to non golf people like how big Tiger is, right? I mean, it's just even when he's not even competitive. You mentioned it: ten, fifteen thousand people on a hole with him. Every stat that anyone throws out, the answer is like the trivia question. The answer is always Tiger. It's just it's completely different. We've gotten like twenty five really good years out of it. We're gonna try to make this transition eventually to the non Tiger era, Steve. But it's it's hard to describe to people who aren't out there witnessing it, kind of week in and week out. Yeah, as people in the industry say, like Tiger doesn't just move the needle, he is the needle. And it's absolutely true. Even the current PGA Tour players say the same thing. You know, even just having him at Augusta, no one expected him to win. Like I said, having to make the cut was a bonus. Um, but, you know, it, it's as if we're witnessing history with every sort of appearance he makes, even if he didn't really have a shot to win the Masters. It was just such a big deal to have him there post car accident, you know, almost 14 months after nearly losing his leg, nearly losing his life. So, um, you know, everyone wanted a, a piece of, you know, trying to be there for this little bit of history. And that's that's going to be the case uh, the rest of this year. Um, you know, the next couple of years, God willing, if he's still playing the tour and, you know, there's no reason why he shouldn't be playing the majors every year if he stays healthy. Um 
so yeah, I mean, it, you're completely a hundred percent right. It's tough to explain to non-golf people, like how much of an influence Tiger Woods has been. People know the name. He's one of the most recognized athletes in the world, but, um, you know, still the impact that he still has in this game is extraordinary because of what he's already done in his legacy. Yeah, for, for sure. You mentioned uh, no cell phones out at Augusta National, uh, 10, 15,000 people following around Tiger Woods. Also no running, right, Steve? What what other things can you not do at Augusta National unless you're willing to get your, uh, your badges revoked? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's unlike another tour event in that, you know, you have a lot of folks – you know, yelling stuff in between shots or right after someone pulls the club. Um, you know, you, there's no yelling like Baba Booey or <laughs> get in the hole. You hear none of that. Um, I would imagine you'd be escorted off property pretty quickly if you did that. Um, yeah, I mean, other than that, though, you, you could kind of do a lot of things. There's just no phones, um, no running, like you said. Uh, it's just a completely different experience. Like everyone, how I explained it to someone recently was everyone is on their best behavior. Like everyone's their best version of themselves when they're at the masters. Uh, you know, you put your chair down on a given hole, uh, when you get there in the morning and like, there's no question that your chair is going to be there where you put it. Um, you know, not displaced at all. When you get back there a couple hours later, you know, you go follow a couple groups around and then you get back to your, your spot on 16 and, people are happy to let you through to your spot, like in the second row. And, um, you know, that's just kind of how it is. You could even put your wallet and, uh, you know, as much ever cash as, as you might want, uh, you know, attached to your chair. And I'm sure it, it would be there when you get back. There's just a complete level of trust because everyone is there for the same reason, because they love golf. They want to watch the masters and enjoy just such a special place. I love that. Everyone's on their best behavior. That's a really good way to put it. Were you at all, uh, we're going to get to like other stuff here for a second, but are you, were you at all involved in uh, Shane Ryan's quest to find a bird on, on site? <laughs> I was not involved, um, but that was such a fun piece. If people didn't see it on golfdigest.com, Shane did like a full investigation into whether there actually are birds um, on property. And then after I read his piece, I did notice a few birds uh, the rest of the weekend. So, you know, I don't know if that was a coincidence or not that, you know, birds just happened to be there after the, the piece published. I doubt that's true. Um, but yeah, th that was fun. Uh, and I was not involved, but, uh, you know, read it and enjoyed it. Shane, Shane's one of the best. Uh, he is. Sounds like a conspiracy we'll have to keep our eyes on for uh, for future yeah. years. Uh, one thing before we jump into kind of the meat of what I wanted to talk to you about, but you you did it again. You, you, you tried every single thing on the menu and the, the menu alone at the masters is a menu unlike any other Steve, because not only do you have these, yeah. uh, you know, specific types of items that people pine for all year long, but it's almost like they're not trying to make any money off of you. What did you say? The, the entire menu cost $18. That's multiple sandwiches. It's, right. it's, you know, nothing's more, no sandwiches more than $3. It's like they're actively not trying to make any money off of this. Yeah. And that's been the case, uh, you know, since the fifties, uh, when Clifford Roberts, like, you know, initiated, uh, this menu, like he knew that people are spending so much money to get to Augusta that he didn't want to gouge them once they're there. So, yeah, I mean, I think I ate all seven sandwiches. Um, uh, <laughs> there's a couple breakfast sandwiches too. I ate those multiple times and they have all this stuff in the media center at Augusta. So I, I ate, every sandwich multiple times as well throughout the week. But I did go out and 
eat each one of them on the golf course. Uh, and like you said, I think it costs 18 bucks for all seven sandwiches. And, you know, for a dollar fifty, you could enjoy a pretty good egg salad sandwich, uh, a pimento cheese sandwich, which is not everyone's favorite. That's a very controversial one. Happens to be my favorite. But, you know, I understand if it grosses some people out. Some people don't like the mayo, the, the consistency of it. Uh, I did hear Scott Van Pelt say that his move is to put the pimento cheese on the barbecue sandwich. And the barbecue sandwich was not my favorite. Um, I've just had a lot of good barbecue in my life and it was just nothing special, but I could see it, you know, really getting amplified if you add the pimento cheese onto the barbecue. So next time I go, I'm definitely going to do that. Um, but yeah, for a dollar fifty to have a, a very good sandwich. I mean, there's really nowhere else in America you could say, um, you know, you could get a dollar fifty sandwich, a $3 beer, sit out at Amen Corner. Um, I really encourage everyone, if they ever have the opportunity um, to go do it, it's one of those places that uh, the expectations are really high when you go, but it's one of those places in life that, you know, it really surpasses your expectations when you're there. Yeah, well, we appreciate your uh, bravery in taking on this challenge. You are a better man than <laughs> I. I would not have even attempted all of this. I think you split it up into two sittings, but I, I, I don't know, man. This this seems like a disaster for me. The one thing that stood out most, <laughs> um, a cold chicken sandwich? That would never fly at Chick-fil-A. That would never fly anywhere else. They're able to pull this off. I know. Yeah, it, again, not my favorite. And like, why not keep it in the warmer? They have these breakfast sandwiches in a warmer. So, you know, it, it wouldn't be so hard to just warm it up. It would bring my grade from a B to an A instantly because the chicken is good. It's just cold. So I'm with you. They got to figure something out there. Uh, your official grades are on golfdigest.com right now. I like that you did not overlook the desserts. I was just expecting, you know, the yep. sandwiches, just the main portion of the menu. Oh, oh no, no. A couple of a grades for the white chocolate <laughs> pecan cookie and the pecan caramel chocolate cluster. Steve, you, you left no item Dude, unturned. I got to tell you one of the best desserts, one of the best cookies I've ever had. And I'm not really a dessert guy, but I knew I had to try everything. I mean, phenomenal. Um, I think I only gained like nine pounds that week when I did it in 2014. I gained like 15 pounds because in the media center, I would get my like breakfast sandwich in the morning and put pimento cheese on it. You know, I'm now 33. My uh, digestion system, I don't think would be too happy with that move. Yeah, I would not have lasted to the weekend if I uh, if I started down that path. So kudos Kudos to you, my friend, but I do want to jump into um, what, I'll, what I'll define as kind of the meat of why I asked you to come on because you, you have an article here on golfdigest.com as well because there's in, in our world, our little kind of niche corner of the golf world, uh, we got some what I think is decently sizable news. So uh, PGA Tour announcing that they have partnered with DraftKings to build a sizable sports book at TPC Scottsdale. That's that's the headline, Steve. So uh, we can get into the details of what this looks like, but um, for those that don't know, right, the, the TPCs are all owned by the PGA Tour. Scottsdale, the home of the WM Phoenix Open, known for being raucous, known for being a lot of fan engagement, and this is kind of the next step in building up that tournament, but also building up something larger from a sports betting angle. Yeah, you know, it signals the tours, uh, you know, acceptance and encouragement of, um, you know, golf gambling within their space. And that's kind of a big development because, you know, as you know, Rick, four or five years ago, 
the tour wasn't fully bought in into the, the golf betting space. So, you know, we've seen the tour under Jay Monahan, under uh, Norb Gambuza, who kind of oversees all um, sports betting uh, operations for them. They've really dug into the space. They have a, a number of partnerships. DraftKings is one of them. And building this sports book, um, you know, it, is a huge thing. It's going to be right across the street from the 18th hole at the stadium course there at TPC Scottsdale. So, um, you know, going to be raucous during the tournament. Going to be awesome. Like if you go play there and you could just take your card over to the sports book and, you know, place your bets, um, you know, go watch sports and, and bet on them after your round, before your round, during your round. I don't know if you could like head over there after nine, um, but huge uh, for the tour. And, you know, I think this is just what we're going to see from them going forward. It's how do we uh, engage people more with products that people want? And, you know, you and I and, you know, our friends within the space, we've been thinking of ideas like this for the last, you know, three, four years beyond that even. Um, so to see them do something like this, really cater to the, the gambler, um, you know, it, it's kind of an awesome step. And it's also in lockstep with other sports leagues too and other teams and what what they're doing in the space you know having sports books in their arenas um it's kind of following that model and, and the success that that teams have had doing that so um not a necessarily surprising move to go in this direction but um you know an encouraging one for all of us who pay attention to the space yeah this is this is kind of crazy i mean i think you were uh i think you were very generous in saying you know four or five years ago the tour wasn't really acknowledging this i think it was like two years ago the tour wasn't even really acknowledging True. this right and now they've kind of um turned on the faucet and once you do something like this steve i mean you you said it's very very telling of what the future is you know i don't know what the current status of allowing players to put um, sportsbook or fantasy site logos on their hats and bags. There was a time where they weren't able to do that. Not current, uh, not sure about what the current status of that is, but this is one large step that will likely cause a bunch of ripples to uh, players, agents, caddies, uh, logos on 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 book on uh, bags and things of that nature. It's such a good call. It's totally you know the continuation of this trend, but also the start of some bigger things too. You know so. If, if the tour is going to do this, you know, what's the next step? And I think they're open all those discussions, you know, other um, sports books, the OBOs are going to them now with ideas and they've seen the tour sign up, you know, with DraftKings in this endeavor. And I would say anything is on the table for them. Um, the sponsorship opportunities for players, I, I'd say that's, that's a huge part of it too. Um, I think the players also went to the tour, you know, part of this kind of realignment of interests, uh, from the PGA Tour and, you know, gambling was, you know, the players realizing that there's a lot of money out there in, in other sports. Athletes, you know, have, have a bunch of opportunities to, um, you know, partner with books. And, you know, we see guys like Bryson DeChambeau and DraftKings, a bunch of BetMGM guys. Uh, Jordan Spieth is now a FanDuel ambassador. So, you know, we, we see that on their on their shirts, you know, guys like uh, I don't know, Kevin Na, Jason Kokrak, Max Homa with the BetMGM logo um, and others. And, you know, Bryson with the, the DraftKings logo on his hat. So we're just going to continue to see more of that. I'm sure there are other things that we'll see, you know, at tournaments where sports betting is legal. Um, you know, there were some activations here in New Jersey at the Northern Trust. The last time it was here, we're, we're just going to see a ton more of that. Um, 
And to know that the tour is interested in hearing about these ideas, like, you know, you or I could come up with an idea and pitch it to them and, and they're going to listen to us because they know we probably know this space a little more than them, but they're in a place where they know, you know, it's their role to listen to ideas. And if they're in the best interest of the tour and their players, uh, they're definitely going to consider them. Yeah, they're, uh, believe it or not, the PGA Tour monitors Twitter. Whether they should or not, they monitor it pretty closely. Yes. Uh, and they are very aware of things that are going on there. You mentioned kind of the way that um, this gets sold to the players. Because that's really, to me, the big chunk of this, right? You've got you've to say to the players, basically, without doing anything more, we can offer more money. More money can come in to the game. And I'd argue, Steve, that there is way more money to be made for the average golfer in a world where sports betting and fantasy dollars are being spent than the average NBA player, right? I mean, all of those, all of those deals that the NBA have uh, has are, you know, through the union and maybe it helps increase the cap space. And maybe that money trickles down to the average player in this world, in the golfing world where all these guys are independent contractors, you know, Kevin Na, uh, Max Homa can go out and negotiate their own deal and get paid way more than the average NBA player is going to get from similar type action, aren't they? Yeah, I, I would imagine that's true. Um, and you're totally right. Like this really opens up the door for players to, you know, have creative, you know, sponsorship opportunities. Um, you know, we've seen them have logos on their bag and their shirt. You know, what's next? I I'm sure there's... Um, you know, engagements and whether it's, you know, events and summits that some of these sports book have has, and then, you know, these guys come and come and attend it. Uh, there's a lot of opportunities out there. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, there's some sort of match in the future mm -hmm. between some of these guys, you know, they're playing for big time cash and um, having VIPs out there as part of these sports books. Uh, I know that was a big thing with the first couple matches uh, like at Shadow Creek to have, you know, BetMGM's VIP guys come out there and enjoy, you know, Tiger versus Phil at Shadow Creek when it wasn't open to the public. But if you're one of their VIPs, you know, that, that's a serious, uh, that's serious cash uh, ticket because, you know, no one can really get involved in that unless you're, you know, uh, the creme de la creme of, of their, uh, of their users. So, um, you know, things like that, it, it's going to, encourage more money um, for these guys to make and good for them because, you know, uh, obviously they're making a lot of money as it is, but there's a lot of money to be had out there. Yeah, there, there is. And it's, uh, uh, well, I'll get to that point in a second about how, you know, we kind of know more golfers than the average fan, but I want to put a bow on, on this uh, sports book that they're building. Cause it's 390 seats, Steve, there's a restaurant and VIP cabanas. And when I first read this, I read it as 3,400 square feet. And I said, oh, that, I don't know, that seems kind of small for 390 people. That's 3,400 square feet of just video wall, Steve, right? Yes. <laughs> that, that's, that's way bigger than my first apartment, uh, 3,400 square feet of video space. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be everywhere you look, a ticker, a video. Um, I didn't get the full square footage of the facility, but I would say, Massive. I mean, it's going to be huge. And then the whole outdoor part too. Um, I mean, we're going to have to go when it opens uh, 2024. I think will be the first waste management uh, that it's open. So I know I'll be there. The Yeah, well, I'll just book my ticket right now. Let's figure something out. Um, there you go. We, yep. we in our little world, the sports betting, the fantasy side of this, 
we certainly know way more golfers than who tunes in on Saturday and Sunday on the telecast. When, when you see eight guys on the telecast, uh, we're more worried about guys, you know, 50 to 150 that are value plays, trying to make the cut, trying to finish inside the top 10. I feel like there's a lot of meat on the bone for those types of golfers, or at least for sportsbook or fantasy activations, for mo- for more guys, right? Maybe it's uh, maybe it's built into PGA Tour Live and sh- and letting us vote on who we see over the course of the week. Maybe they just show us um, who the highest uh, owned guys are for the week. Put them in a marquee group or something like that. I mean, there's there's definitely more opportunities for more golfers to get involved in this that I don't even think I've even fully considered. Totally. Um... Yeah, I mean, the average golf viewer on Saturday or Sunday probably doesn't know who guys like, you know, Matthew Neesmith or Adam Svensson are, but we're the people who want to watch them compete because we have money on them. Um, So, and the tour realizes this there, you know, it becomes a little complicated because it is pretty costly to, to show, you know, every shot uh, for every player. Obviously they do that at the players. Augusta does that. Uh, for the masters, because, you know, that's the same course every year, you know, they could build in cameras um, at places at Augusta at TPC Sawgrass, where it's, it's just tougher to do that um, at any given uh, tour course. But, you know, that being said, there are a bunch of tech technology and, you know, developments, um, you know, cloud um, camera stuff that the tour is looking into, um, you know, they're not quite at the point where we're going to see every shot from Adams Venson, but it wouldn't surprise me in a couple of years if they figure out a way to do so. Um, they know that there's an appetite for that. And they know, you know, I mean, think about it, like a Hideki Matsuyama, who has such a huge following back home in Japan. Like if, if there was an opportunity for fans to watch every shot of Hideki, not even from a gambling perspective, but just from a general level of interest, people are going to pay extra to be able to do that. So um, you know, it's it's been a little slower than I think people like us would like to see in that realm um, because it's just kind of really complicated and, and expensive to show every shot like that. But that's definitely the future. And like I said, I wouldn't be surprised to see it sooner rather than later. Yeah, showing every shot um, or at least more of them is definitely one of the avenues in which the fantasy slash betting community aligns with just like hardcore fans who might not have anything on it. And it also aligns with the tours. I'm sure desire to have more content, right? The more content that you have, the more you can charge for it. I actually could argue PGA tour live is criminally underpriced and they should charge two or three times more for it because the people who buy it, Steve are never, I'll pay any amount for it. Not just because it's my job, but I would pay literally any amount for it. So there, there is a lot of scenarios and showing every shot is one that it aligns with a lot of people's desires and, um, and kind of what the value in, in different avenues is. I I think we're going to have to get something much closer to that in the near future because it's just, it makes too much sense not to, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. You know, it's 2022. You you would think we'd be close to it. And I think we are. Um, it's obviously a very niche thing, like to show every shot of, um, X player, but, you know, there are probably tens of thousands of people who would watch, um, you know, how many people fill up a DraftKings contest, like 300,000, some of these contests. So, um, and I know it's 150 lineups each, but still, um, you know, I, I think we're going to see it and you're right. The, 
the amount of revenue that Torque could generate on top of what they already are, um, you know, it's kind of crazy to think about. This is obviously a big step that makes me fairly optimistic, but I'd be lying, Steve, if I if I didn't say I think there's obviously still some things to be concerned about with the PGA Tour and how they're handling sports betting. I went on a Twitter space of theirs a couple of weeks ago. I was asked not to mention any sports book by name. I was asked not to mention any line or fantasy pricing. So it's kind of like this awkward dance that I'm trying to do where it's like, hey, um, these guys are further down the player pool or further. You know what I mean? It's like, it's this awkward uh, stance that I'm trying to take. And and that's the tour just not committing to these partnerships yet, probably because they want to get action from everybody. I think that's the case. Yeah. Um, You know, you got to be careful about who you mention because then, you know, the other OBO, you know, doesn't like that as much. And the thing is the tour has relationships with all these, companies so you know if you were to mention one and not the other you know then the other could claim you know you're you're being unfair to them so i do get that um in terms of the lines and you know pricing and stuff i don't fully understand why they did that maybe because it's you know not legal in every state so someone could be watching in a you know non-legal state and then maybe they're violating like a twitter law i mean that it's kind of the only reason i could think of there yeah i don't know but I, uh, I appreciate the direction in which they're going because you're right. Just a couple of years ago, yeah. uh, it, it was a, a complete a lack of acknowledgement that this even existed. Um, Adrian Wojnarowski of uh, ESPN made a comment that I think uh, made its way through kind of sports betting Twitter a couple of days ago where he argued that the NBA is going to see a lot more issues in stadium, Steve, in arena uh, from sports wagering, and I believe he his quote is, we are going to see fans be more vitriotic towards players in the league, essentially saying that now that sports betting is being legalized all over the place and there's more of these micro wagers. Number one, vitriotic, great word. Word of the day, I'll try to use that later. <laughs> um, number two, does he have a point? What what's What's your level of concern around the injection of micro sports wagers in a live aspect in both NBA and other sports, including the PGA tour. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely something the tour has thought a lot about and it's something I've thought a lot about people here at golf digest. Um, it's something that we've talked about is like, you know, what's to stop some jabroni, uh, you know, when they're close to Max Homa hitting a chip and they're right behind them, you know, what's to stop them from yelling something in a swing and, that messes Homa up. That affects the, the tournament. Um, but at the end of the day, like, yes, sports betting is now legal, but it's not like it hasn't existed for, you know, forever. Um, and the tour hasn't had any huge issues with it. Uh, I think back to, I think it was Carnusti when Tiger was in the hunt um, just a couple opens ago when Francesco won and someone yelled in his backswing on the 72nd hole. And, you know, he hit a wayward drive and that could have affected the outcome of the tournament. Who knows if that guy had money on Francesco or on Tiger and was doing that to affect his, his bet. Um, you know, it's possible. These people do dumb stuff all the time. Um, you can't control everything. I know that the tour, you know, has partners with, um, with some other companies who are monitoring this sort of thing. But, I mean, really, there's probably nothing you could do uh, to stop x and y fan who has ten dollars on something some stupid bet and from them doing something that they regret um 
it's probably going to happen. Unfortunately, Justin Thomas actually said this a couple of years ago at Scottsdale that he was kind of anti all of this stuff because of that real possibility of someone yelling something in their swing. Um, but then again, like, like I said, this happens all the time. Like someone yells in their swing and, um, you know, maybe they didn't have money on it. They were just overserved or, you know, they wanted to make an impact on, on something that they shouldn't have. Um, so I think the comments from him are, are, uh, interesting. And it, it, it's definitely a level of, um, concern, uh, for the tour, for myself as a golf fan, for the, I think, and that's the other thing for the casual golf fan who doesn't really bet on sports. Like, I think that's something negative that they see about golf betting or betting in general is like, you know, could you affect the outcome of a, an event by doing something like that? And the answer is yes. Like there's kind of nothing you could do really to, to stop something like that from happening. Uh, people do stupid things all the time, which is, a, I completely agree yep. with that sentiment. Uh, I worry that everything bad that happens in sports by fans will get lumped into, oh, he probably had a bet on it, which people are just yes. idiots in general, right? I think that that's safe to say. Yep. And, you know, this has been going on even in, in golf uh, forever in Europe that not, mm -hmm. you know, not so yep. many, not so many issues. I agree that it is a realistic possibility that the outcome of a golf tournament could be impacted or a shot could be impacted. I just think it's so small, Steve, like think about it. You've got to have, yeah. um, you've got to have someone who's dumb enough and willing enough to say something to impact or do something to impact it. They have to be in the right spot at the right time, right? They have to be like next to golfer X during the moment, not just sitting at home on their couch, yelling at their television. I mean, what did, what did the activation look like at in Jersey? Was it Liberty national where they had something? Yeah, it was like, you know, a, uh, uh, hospitality suite, like kind of right off, uh, one of the holes and, you know, they had somewhere where you could place your bets. Um, hmm. so it's not as if you could have like yelled out and affected the outcome of something, um, you know, while betting. And that's the other thing too, the latency of golf. Um, you know, they, what they could do that, what the PGA tour could do, what DraftKings and all these OBOs could do is make sure that, you know, if you're on site and you're betting live on one of these apps, like, you can't bet on, um, well, well, these players, you know, hit the green and then you being right there mm. in front of them to hit their, their shot. Um, as that's happening, like they will turn that off, like, you know, very far in advance. So at least like you can't do it in real time. Um, that's not to say you can't make that bet and then try to affect the players from, from making that, making that shot and, you know, you winning money on that outcome. So, um, they're thinking a lot about that. I'll, I'll say that. And, you know, there's ways with like geo targeting to, you know, ensure that someone's maybe not out in the fairways and making a live bet and then, you know, affecting the outcome of the tournament right there on the spot. So, um, but I'm with you, like it, it would be a definite negative for all of us who love, who love the PGA tour, who love uh, betting on it. Uh, if something like that happened for it to possibly uh, get turned against like all of golf betters in general, th that would certainly be a negative. Yeah. When that guy ran out onto like 12 or 13 fairway at Torrey Pines a couple of years ago, like th that wasn't right. sports betting. That was just somebody being an idiot, right? That was just an idiot being an idiot. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's still going to happen. That, that always has, you know, John Daly at St. Andrews in 95, that, that person streaking in front of him. I mean, it's been going on for centuries. Yeah. Um, 
So before we put a bow on kind of the, the, the sports wagering and, and golf side of this, so I think we're in agreement. Step in the right direction for the PGA Tour. They've been much more candid. And this, this actually goes beyond sports betting, Steve, because they now tweet out bad shots, which, believe it or not, they never used to do, right? If a <laughs> guy true. shanked a golf yep. ball, you never saw it. And now it lives under this golf is hard hashtag or whatever, which, listen, tip of, that, tip of the cap, uh, they are certainly moving in the right direction outside of the things that we talked about, whether it's showing more shots, whether it is um, having sponsorships more engaged or sponsors more engaged with these athletes or these courses. Is, do you think there's anything else that we might see or could see from the tour as they kind of embrace this, uh, this, this new path? Well, you know, obviously we're coming up on uh, the Netflix PGA tour um, partnership and documentary, which, you know, I think will come out at the end of the year there. I know they're filming it uh, at Augusta. Some of my colleagues were, were on camera uh, getting filmed, but as it relates to like the tour players themselves, I mean, it would be interesting, like off the course to kind of hear from them, um, you know, whether now that sports betting has been legalized and embraced by the tour, whether the tour players themselves are hearing from friends and fans and family members, like in terms of, how it relates back to their bets and their DFS lineups and their pools, some of that stuff. Like I'm genuinely interested in how much these guys pay attention to that sort of stuff. When I've had a chance to talk to them, they all kind of say, you know, they don't really pay attention to it, but I, I don't know. I'm sure they're asked about it from their like closest friends. Like, dude, should I put 20 bucks on you? You know, you're a couple shots back. Like, how you feeling? And like to, to hear their like genuine um, reaction and feedback to that, to their friends and, and people around them would be pretty fun and, you know, part of this embrace of the sports betting uh, circle. So I'd like to see that as part of the Netflix series. If any any producer from Netflix is watching this, uh, you, you can take my idea. <laughs> there you go. Credit Steve Hennessy with uh, that one. Okay, very, very, very cool stuff, Steve. Um, one of the other things I wanted to just chat with you about because I found this magnificent. So you uh, also oversee the 100 greatest course panel. That's actually something we've talked about on this podcast before, which I find in itself very, very fascinating. But there is, an, again, an article on golfdigest.com where, correct me if I'm wrong here, it, it seems like you sent out a, a survey or some type of memo kind of asking specific questions of these panelists. And some of the answers that you got are just insane, Steve. Yeah, so this was in our recent uh, like travel special issue of Golf Digest, and yeah, I, I did literally send an email out to, you know, fifty or a hundred of you know, our course raiders who I know are kind of our most veteran guys, most trusted guys, and I knew they would have some crazy stories, and they did. They did not disappoint. Um, they did not. I think disappoint. my favorite was <laughs> no, the gentleman who uh, traveled the country. I think it was like 160 straight days. Uh, he and his buddy, who was also a panelist, um, they played every day. Uh, I don't even think weather affected any of their days. They said there was like a forest fire off one of the holes, but they still played through it. Um, pretty incredible. I think they played like 300 different courses on their 160-day trip. So, you know, it, it's good to be a, a Golf Digest panelist. It's it's good to be one of these people who are featured in the article. This is yes, I agree. I like. I thought I played a lot of golf. I know people who play a lot of golf. These people play yeah. beyond insane amounts of golf. So it, it, I have the the quote here. So uh, it's Terry Inslee from Florida. They did yes. a an eighty six day golf trip. 
That's three months, Steve. First of all, a quarter of the year, yep. they did an 86-day golf trip where they played 104 courses. I don't have to be a mathematician to tell you that that is more than one course a day, Steve. So they're like playing 18, getting in the car, driving somewhere else, playing another 18. That's already amazing enough. And then, as you noted, 66 of the best in best in state courses of the Golf Digest ranking, 19 of the top 100. Uh, I, I mean, this is like... I love everything about this. I aspire to be Terry Inslee. <laughs> we all do. Terry's <laughs> been one of our best uh, panelists for quite some time. Um, yeah. And, you know, just like, the, you know, the impact of like on your body, like I play 36 in one day and I, I need to take like a week off. I need to go get a massage, go to the chiropractor. You know, these guys are doing it every day for 80 straight days. I mean, it's incredible. Um, and they played some really great golf courses too. Like just to play that much golf would be tough, but, um, yeah, you know, it's nice to, you know, be retired or, um, you know, not, not have to worry about a job. And, uh, they have some very understanding, uh, wives and significant others. That, that's, that's definitely the case. They, I don't know if I could get away with a trip like that. They must. I'll tell you, I play 18 holes these days and I'm like, I'm laid up the next day. It's, it's hard for me Same. to do yeah. anything else. Uh, Corey and we're, you know, in our thirties, yeah. you know, he's like, you know, 67 years old. It's insane. Uh, Corey Lewis from South Carolina says he always plays three days, uh, three rounds a day on a golf trip. On a recent trip to California, he played four courses at PGA West in the same day and 21 courses in six days on that trip. If you could play, who who did that? Was it Roger Goodell that played like Pine Valley, Augusta National, and somewhere else in the same day? Yeah. I, I, you know, if you have a private jet and can get from Augusta to New Jersey and then to Cyprus, I suppose it's possible. Um, but when they're all, you know, on one site like that, like at PGA West or Bandon, uh, one of my colleagues did that a few years ago. She played all four courses at Bandon in the same day. And yeah, I mean, like you said, Rick, I played, I've played 36 at Bandon before and I didn't want to get out of bed the next day. The fact that someone could do that um, and continually do that. Yeah, Corey Lewis uh, is a champ. The fact that he always does that is really impressive. Um, yeah, if there's one place where I could choose to do that, to play four rounds in one day, you know, I might pick Long Island. Um, there's just so much good golf out there. Um, also, like the Monterey Corner, play Pebble Beach. You could play Cypress. You could play Monterey Peninsula Country Club, both courses. Uh, and that's not even mentioning Spyglass or Spanish Bay or um, – I mean, yeah, I'm going to try it now, now that we're talking this out loud. How about I, I this? At least we got to put something together. At least make a Vegas trip. We could do it easily here. There's so much great golf in a, in a close proximity. We could knock out three or four rounds at three or four different courses on whatever the summer, like June 21st, when the day's the longest and we could, we, it'd be That's sweaty. True. It'd be sweaty. We, that would, it'd be hot, but we could figure it out, Steve. Done. Done. Yeah. You got Peyuti has three courses there and then you just need to add one more. So done. There I'm you in. go. Um, this is, this is maybe my favorite. We'll, we'll end, we'll end with this. So, uh, talking about the perks of being a panelist, which after reading this, I, I think I need to be a panelist. If it allows me, like, you know, <laughs> it's, it sounds like the best gig ever. Um, walking Janina Jacobs, walking a new course with one of the designers who points out how the elements of the golf course came to be that to me that's next level because there are a lot of obviously on especially some of the best in state and the top 100 lists on Golf Digest. I mean, it's so much about architecture, which I 
don't think that I understand as much as I should, Steve. And I, I, I like having the insight of someone very close to it, whether it's the designer or just someone who knows what the designer was intending, that makes that changes it from just a round of golf to almost just like a completely different experience. Yes. Yeah. And I think we talked about this a little in our, in our first podcast, but you're a hundred percent right. Like the, the ability to one's brain as you're walking the course, I mean, it turns it from a golf course into a piece of art. And that's what this really is. Like every course is a piece of architecture and you know, why certain things are where they are. Like everything, there's a decision for every little thing, every little bump in the green, uh, why each bunker is where it is, uh, why the, the angle of the fairway is what it is. And, you know, there's really, there's a never ending search of knowledge about golf course design. That's why I think, you know, anyone who's into it, our friend Andy Lack is really into it too. Um, like it's such a fun thing to be passionate about because like there's always something new to read or hear about or a new course to go play. And I've had the chance to walk new courses too with the designers. Um, I got to walk Trinity Forest with Bill Core uh, when it opened a couple of years back. And it's one of the coolest things I've ever gotten to do, um, you know, pointing things out to Mr. Core and asking him like, <laughs> is this kind of why you did that? And him, uh, you know, reaffirming uh, what I saw and him saying, yeah, you know, that, how'd you know that? Well, I've, I've played a couple of your courses and I've noticed, you know, the position of your, of your bunkers on, Part you know that looks kind of similar, um, so I, I think you should get into it, Rick. Um, <laughs> the being a panelist is you know it is uh, kind of strict, and we do have zero tolerance for a lot of different things. So you know I know you're a rule abiding citizen, so uh, you know we, we could talk about getting you on board. Um, it is it's a lot of work, but if you're into it, like I said, uh, it's also a ton of fun. Uh, there's nothing I love more than rules. Trust me, my wife could attest to that. I, I follow the rules <laughs> very go. much. Uh, Steve Hennessy, Deputy Managing Editor of Golf Digest, host of the Be Right Pod, which, by the way, Steve, real quick, Emmett Smith on the Be Right Pod? How, you, <laughs> you guys book like nobody else can book. That's good stuff, dude. Can you believe that? Yeah. I mean, Chris Powers and I, like we both said after we finished that podcast, like that's one of the coolest things we've ever done and probably will ever do at golf digest is interview Emmett Smith about golf. And he had some great stories. So, uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. We've been on a good run of, of guests, Will Zaltoris, Dustin Johnson, Emmett Smith. Um, yeah, it's gonna, that's going to be tough to top going forward the rest of the year. I'm sure you'll try. You guys are absolutely killing it. Uh, Steve yeah. really appreciate it. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Rick. Awesome stuff. Uh, all right. Well, that'll do it. This has been another episode of 300 Yards to Unknown, and we'll catch you next time.